0: This is the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, episode 56. Welcome to the Top Agents Playbook
1: Podcast the very best tips, tools, and ideas from real estate's top performers. Now, here's your host, Ray Wood.
0: everybody, and welcome back to the show. I have no idea what it's like to go to war. And I have no idea what it's like to wake up each day and face an enemy who's prepared to die in an effort to kill you. And I have no idea what it's like to walk into battle in full combat gear, carrying up to 90 pounds of weapons and supplies, with live rounds exploding all around you. But my guest for this episode does and he's the co-author of the number one New York Times best-selling book, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Leif Babin is a former Navy SEAL officer who deployed three times to Iraq, earning a silver star, two bronze stars and a purple heart. Leif was a SEAL platoon commander in the Battle of Ramadi in 2006, one of the most notorious battles of the war. He then went on to teach leadership to the next generation of US Navy SEAL leaders. He left active duty in 2011 and launched a leadership and management consulting company called Echelon Front with fellow former SEAL Jocko Willink to teach others how to build, train and lead high performance winning teams. I really enjoyed this interview with Leif and I think there are so many important lessons and strategies for business, relationships and life. I've read Leif and Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership, but the audio book, read by the guys themselves, is awesome and very real. The audio book, which you can get at audible.com, takes you as close to the heat and danger of battle as you'll ever want to be. This isn't the movies. This actually happened. Well, Leif Babin, welcome to the Top Agents Playbook. How are you doing?
1: Doing great, Ray. Great to be on with you today.
0: Uh, I'd like to start off, uh, firstly, by saying thank you for your service. Well, thanks, Ray. It was an
1: honour to serve, and uh, I'd, I'd be happy to do it again in a heartbeat if they let me.
0: Laif, can you take us back to your first deployment? I think it's 2006 in in Iraq. Um, what was it like? I'm I'm sitting here at the cottage. It's about 35 degrees. I think the the uh, humidity humidity would make it probably about 45 degrees, but that would be nothing. Uh, Compared to what you had to go go through with uh, with full full uh, battle gear and everything, I, I don't know how many pounds of gear do you do you guys carry when you're on the ground? Yeah, well, my
1: my what you're talking about is my my deployment to Ramadi and what's now called the Battle of Ramadi in 2006. That was yeah. actually my second deployment as a SEAL, uh, as as a SEAL platoon commander and uh, in charge of uh a, an incredible group of guys uh and it was uh, it was some tough fighting we hit we had some some difficult incredibly challenging dangerous sustained urban combat operations uh day in and day out and we were carrying you know as much as 50 or 60 maybe up to probably 80 or 90 pounds of gear depending on how long we were going to stay probably the biggest thing that we were carrying with us on our backs was water uh it just you had to carry all the water in with you and if you're going in for 24 48 hours you know you're carrying a massive amount of, of water maybe you know eight or ten of these like liter and a half uh, bottles in, in your bag you can match those 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 weigh quite a bit so it's uh it's definitely it's definitely uh challenging that you know the heat is excruciating over there it's a you know 115 117 degrees uh fahrenheit you can Do the uh, conversion to Celsius there? uh, It's uh, it's it's miserable, and that was the heat was actually such uh, so challenging that that was a major factor we always had to account in. You know that that heat exhaustion or heat stroke uh, is every bit as deadly as as uh, as the enemy. So you know one of the things we figured out really quick is that you know you're going out prepared for World War Three in every operation. You know with extra magazines and rounds and hand grenades and rockets and you know at the end of the day you had to be able to move. Uh, and so, at yeah. some point, you have to just really take. No, you have to prioritize and execute, as we talk about. To take what's really important. Here's what we're going to take with us. You know, shave down that weight as much as you can, and, uh, and be able to go out and operate effectively in that environment.
0: Life did any any of your training um, uh, in the states, or or I'm not sure sure where the U.S. Navy SEALs train, but it, did any any of your training prepare you for that those kind of conditions? I know you spent some time in Darwin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my ship pulled into Darwin back in the day uh, when I was a surface warfare officer, and uh, that was a great experience. Got to go see some some saltwater crocodiles that uh, uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want any part of. Those things are scary. I grew up up <laughs> with alligators on the on the Gulf Coast of Texas, and uh, you know those things maybe get twelve or fourteen feet long, and no no big deal. But the uh, the seven meter salt uh, saltwater crocs were uh, pretty impressive. Uh, you know what? Uh, our training in most of our training takes place in the San Diego area of California uh, for our basic training. And, and, uh, and we actually spent some time out in the desert. I mean, that's a big part of SEAL training is, is pushing yourself in hard environments. And the Southern California deserts provide some very great training grounds to go and hike around some rugged mountains and, and we we'll learn to shoot, move, and communicate as a team. And, you know, in those, those desert environments, the temperatures get really hot, and, and it's similar to, to what you experience uh, overseas. Of course, when you get shot at with real bullets, it's uh, it's definitely a much more challenging environment.
0: Well, I'm sure it would be the the um, the the vision that comes to me, or the experience that comes to me, is only from movies. And I'm thinking of a movie like The Hurt Locker, um, where bomb disposal guys are coming in, but you're in this very kind of rough. Urban environment, there's buildings and uh, and rooftops and all of those sorts of things. Is is that what it was like in Ramadi?
1: That's exactly what it was like. Now I'll tell you, the Hurt Locker is a Hollywood movie. I made it about maybe 15 minutes into that thing before I just turned it off and said, "This is garbage," because yep. <laughs> it's not reflective of, of of reality in a way. But as far as that kind of a scene uh... it's uh... it's it's like that the urban environment it is difficult it's challenging threats come from all around you and it's not just three hundred sixty degrees around you at ground level but you've got multi-story buildings so you've got you know three hundred sixty degrees up uh... as well so you got seven hundred twenty degrees you have to worry about uh... you know in in all directions it's definitely uh... it's, it's quite quite a quite a challenging environment so it's it's one of those things uh... where Blue on blues can happen very easily. You know, friendly fire can happen very easily. And it's a close environment, too. That's what a lot of people don't realize about the urban environment. I mean, when you get shot at, you don't know if it's – are they 50 yards away and the guy's just a room deep in in a a building? Are they, you know, 200 yards away and, you know, in several blocks? away from you, uh, you know, three stories up. You just have no idea where where you're getting shot at from. How many bad guys there are? What they're going to do next? You know, the the uh, uh, is it friendlies? Is it enemies? It's just a very very challenging environment. We learned some really tough lessons learned in that environment. How to be able to operate. Uh, effectively and efficiently, and, and, and uh, you know, most of the time, come back and bring our guys home.
0: You you talked about in the book, and I want to get into the book in in the in a moment. The book that you wrote with Jocko Willink, but you talk about a um, a very uh, a potentially potentially disastrous blue on blue situation uh, with 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 uh, mistaking the buildings. Um, is that something that? That can happen often and and has, has has that sort of thing happened much in the past it does
1: it happens all the time in fact uh, uh, you know throughout history one of the one of the toughest battles uh, in Vietnam was the battle for Hue, which is the ancient uh, the ancient capital, and the uh, North Vietnamese had taken over that, and some American marines pushed through and, and took that city back house by house block by block, and something like uh, one third of u.s casualties were attributed to friendly fire i mean it's, it's just wow. it's just that difficult in, the, in that kind of uh, environment it's just uh it's, it's very very challenging now look technically that should never happen you know in theory you should never have those kind of a blue on blue friendly fire scenarios uh but one of the lessons we brought back to from uh from ramadi as Jocko took over and ran ran training for all the West Coast SEAL teams and I ran training for the uh, the officers that graduated from our SEAL training pipeline is we tried to pass on the lessons to them of just how easily something like that could happen and so you know one of the reasons that it does happen so easily is if you don't think it can happen if you don't think you know if you don't fully appreciate just how easily that can happen and it will happen uh, unless you take some some very uh uh proactive steps to mitigate the risk you know, prevent that from happening and sometimes we would throw a giant orange marker panel over the side of the a building and let all of the you know thousands of bad guys that are out there in the uh, you know in the in the city know where we were just because that was better than getting shot at by you know giant uh tank rounds you know from a m one abrams tank or a Apache gunship. A helicopter gunship overhead so uh you yeah, know those are just yeah. kind of the tough calls that you have to make as a leader on the ground um in order to, to mitigate that risk
0: yeah well this the story i'm talking about it's just one of many stories and it's in a it's in a it's in a number one new york times best best-selling book that that life's just written with jocko and it's called extreme ownership how, how u.s navy seals lead and win and this this I just found this a fascinating story. I uh, Peter Hutton, one of my buddies from Australia, told me about it. Um, Leif and and I bought the book, and then I really enjoyed uh, listening to the audio book with you and and Jocko speaking and relating these stories. and And that Blue on Blue story was a frightening one. It, w- it was frightening how close you came to so many lives being lost. It just had a. Had a huge, uh, I just thought, it, yeah, quite an amazing story.
1: Thank, thank you, Ray, for uh, you know for, for reading the book and helping us spread the mes- message of ex- extreme ownership. Uh, and I uh, appreciate Peter passing it on to you as well. I think, you know, for what we try to do in this book was just write where we'd screwed up, you know, the the humbling lessons learned that we took from combat and so that we could pass on to leaders. And I, you know, I think what we've done over the last five years at Jocko and I have, have launched this, uh, this leadership company, uh, echelon front, we have seen that the same principles that enable seals to succeed on the battlefield enabled any team, any organization to, to lead and win on their, their battlefield, whatever that battlefield may be in business, or life, and I think you know, those those principles are exactly applicable. The story that you're talking about, in particular, believe it or not, it, it was such a difficult incident for us, and we were so fortunate that you know we didn't lose a whole bunch of our guys getting killed. Luckily, we didn't lose. Any of our guys. Sadly, a, an Iraqi soldier was killed, and, and several more wounded. And I had a couple of my guys that were, were mo- wounded, which ended up be, being minor wounds. They were able to return to to the battlefield. Thank God for that. But uh, it was it was such a difficult lesson learned that when I, I we were talking about this concept of extreme ownership, and I said, you know what, Jocko, we really should open this book with that uh, that incident because it was such a powerful thing in my mind. And uh, he wasn't sure about it. I mean, he was. Would- Sure, it's like this is a tough thing to talk about. It's hard to explain to people, yeah, okay. you know. They and and you know after that, you know he, he tells he tells the story now. Like thank God that we did that because it shows you know it, it's the, the 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 humility that is inflicted upon you in combat. It is, uh, it, it is the combat is the ultimate teacher, and you know you can make the right decision uh, in in a, a horrific. Situation it looks like you can't survive, and, and and you come out okay, and you can win that. And then you can also make some wrong decisions when everything seems like it's going great, and nothing bad could possibly happen, and and yet it becomes catastrophic after those wrong decisions. And and you can instantly, you know, see that that feedback. And so we really learned a lifetime of lessons learned for me and Jocko and all the guys that were you know were there with us, and the Army and Marine Corps that you know that we served with. They had some outstanding leaders as well. Uh, we learned a, a lifetime of lessons learned, and that was really the biggest piece that we brought back this is this concept of extreme ownership it is the foundation it is the just the 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 mindset the attitude that a leader has to own everything in his or her world there's nobody else to blame there's no excuses and you have you have to take charge of not just what you're responsible for but everything that affects your mission and that's something that's very, uh, very challenging to people that uh, that most people don't think about in a way. But that that story itself illustrated something to me that was so powerful. I wasn't on the battlefield when when that incident took place. I was I was back on the other side of Armadi filling in for Jocko as our task unit commander, and and we run, frankly, running some other operations that were going on. Uh, but when that happened, this horrific blue on blue friendly fire situation. I mean, just to make a long story short, you had a you know we we had some of our guys were in a, in a position. Uh, deep into enemy territory and they had to change buildings from where they were to a different location but they weren't able to radio and and tell the you know the the, uh the battle space owner the person who owned the real estate um uh the 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 u.s army that owned the real estate there were they, they couldn't tell them where exactly they were and then some iraqi soldiers came into a position where they weren't supposed to be and so we thought we'd taken the steps to mitigate risk and yet all of a sudden you've got uh, you know, you've got uh, an Iraqi uh, army uh, company in- entering the building, and kind of the uh, at, at, at like the you know it's right at uh, at dawn as the sun's coming up, and and so it was hard. You know, night vision doesn't work anymore, but you still can't really see, and and so all of a sudden it becomes you uh, know, hey, someone's in the building now. Now you've got friendly force shooting each other without even realizing it's friendly. It was a catastrophic scenario, very very difficult, and you know heads were going to roll for that. Our, our leadership said, yeah, who's going to get, you know, who's, who's responsible for this. I, I want to know who's responsible. And we knew somebody's probably going to get fired for this. This is a big deal. This shouldn't happen. You know, it's, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so, uh, you know, Jocko, we, we went through all the lessons learned. He got, he, he took inputs from everybody, sat down, thought about it. And at the end of the day, they said something's missing here and realized, you know what, I'm in charge of this, this whole unit. And even, so he hadn't been in, in that. He hadn't been on the battlefield at that very spot where that bad thing happened. He was in charge of it all, and he was going to take complete ownership. So I was sitting in the room when he got up to brief, uh, and our commanding officer had, had come over uh, from about thirty miles away in another town called Fallujah, and uh, and. There to, to uh, you know try to figure out what happened and what steps we were going to take to never let this happen again and you know who was responsible for this and Jocko went around the room who's responsible Whose fault is this different guys raised their hands said I should have done this or I should have done that or should have you know had better positive ident- identification on my target should have done a better job of calling in our, our, our you know our position over the radio all these different things and Jocko said no it's not your fault it's my fault I'm in charge of this yeah. I'm not going to let that happen and I- I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that nothing like this ever happens again and so uh that was something where his you know the the respect and admiration that we had for Jocko just went through the roof when when he did that because we knew that he had pulled the trigger you know he hadn't been there in that position yet he was taking ownership of it all and because he did that every one of us uh learned lessons from that we took those lessons built them in uh to uh, further operations and and that saved so many lives on the battlefield because we knew that uh, that this was going to th- this this made a huge difference. We weren't going to let those same mistakes get repeated again, and we took proactive steps to make sure that uh, that that didn't happen. And we got shot at by friendlies pretty frequently, but we never let it escalate to a point where it got out of control. People got wounded or killed, and uh, we were able to control that every time, and and uh, and, and ceasefire very rapidly.
0: One of the reasons i I really liked that scenario life and that and that example was because I think immediately after after it, in the book, you know fast forward to whenever it was, you and Jocko are in a are in a room talking to some senior managers in in a company, and there were some major issues with this company and One of the things I liked is that you just kept digging and digging, and um, a big part of the problem was a senior manager. Who just kept saying it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, and and this is this was the analogy I love with real estate because there's so much of this going on in our industry. There's a huge lack of responsibility and ownership, I think. Uh, and when this guy actually turned around and he understood. Uh, and things started to change at that point. I just thought that, that was a, that was a wonderful example, going from the battlefield and that extreme example of extreme ownership, uh, and then into the private sector as well. So. Um there's just so many lessons from the battlefield here that translate into into not just business, but into everyday no life. No doubt,
1: Ray. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, that recognition is 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 really what makes such an impact for people is that they got to own it. They got to take ownership. And, you know, the, the thing about that is if you're just making excuses, which is really what it is, if, you know, if a leader's saying, well, my team's not as good as they should be, or, you know, I told them what to do, but they're not they're not doing it. I mean, the reality is, uh, in almost every case, people want to succeed. They want to win. Uh, you know, there's very, very rare exception to that where you just get a bad egg in there who just, you know, needs. To get let go needs to be terminated or needs needs to be put in a different position, you know, than the one they're in. But that's those that's very rare. Most people do not need to be fired; they need to be led. And so, if the team's not doing what they need to do, a leader's got to take ownership. And so, whether you're in a leadership position or whether you're on the front lines, you've got to own things. And you know, in the real estate world, absolutely. I mean, it's easy to say, "Well, hey, I brought this deal in. The loan officer's not getting it done," or you know, the different pieces and parts of the team that you. on, uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, it's you, by you taking ownership, by you making sure that you're going to walk, uh, you're going to, you're going to walk that deal across the finish line and get, get it, get it closed and get it, you know, get your, your customer squared away. Um, then, uh, you're going to, you're going to make it happen. You're going to be a lot more successful. And it, if you analyze the most successful real estate agents out there, they're going to be using extreme ownership. They may not call it that, but they're absolutely using extreme ownership. That's the really the 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 single uh greatest factor that we see across leadership in, in any capacity. And whether it was, you know, our guys, SEALs, or Marines or soldiers on the battlefield, whether it's you know lead leaders across the business perspective, uh, you know, all the way down to the frontline troops that are just in charge of themselves and their piece of the mission. Those folks that, t- that step up, take ownership, they don't make excuses, they don't cast blame, they just go out and get the job done. You know, they, they, they leverage assets, they build relationships, they make it happen. Uh, those are the folks that are the most successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Life, um... I hesitate to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In my research, I noticed that that you're very close friends with Chris Kyle, the Navy Navy SEAL depicted in the movie American Sniper, the the late Chris Kyle. Uh, Did Chris's book inspire you to want to tell your story a little bit?
1: Chris was a a very close teammate and a good friend, and he is uh, sorely missed. Uh, he was taken taken away from us in a, in a horrific shooting uh, down in Texas a few years ago, and uh, it's just a, just a travesty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris's book was was wildly successful, and and that was uh, that was great. I mean that I, we've been thinking about this book uh, really prior to that. Um, you know, it's, it's a different kind of book. Chris's Chris's book tells his story, which is an amazing story and one that needs to be needs to be told, you know. I think Jocko and I, from the get go, wanted to write a leadership book, and we never fashioned ourselves as someone who was going to write a book. You know, in fact, in the SEAL teams, you people kind of frown on that. You know, we're supposed to be the quiet professionals, and and yet, you know what? We need people like Chris Kyle to tell their stories so that it gets. It's a story that's reflects not only of them, uh, but of so many other hundreds of thousands of men and women that have, have deployed to difficult combat zones and what their families go through. You know, so I, I think those stories uh, have to be told for, for Jacqueline. I would inspired us to write this book was that so many people asked us, you know, do you have this written down? Now is there something I can reference? As we talked about our lessons learned, you know things not only extreme ownership, but our laws of combat, like cover and move, which is teamwork or decentralized command. You know, which is uh, how the how the command should actually work together in order to to function optimally as a as a team in, in the under high pressure situations and difficult environments. And so uh, those things. They're difficult. They're hard to do. They're hard to understand. And people wanted a reference. And so that's why we wrote this book. You know, we want it to be an exciting read, but we also want it to be a ready reference. And that's frankly been the most flattering thing that I've seen is when when someone shows me their book and it's got, you know, all the, the colored tabs in it and just dog ear pages are underlined and highlighted. Yeah. That's the greatest compliment that we could get as as authors because we know that book is being utilized to have impact. And it's not just about telling stories, it's about having impact on people's lives, making them better
0: yeah well i for one uh and i'm certainly glad that you guys wrote this book i i just thought it was a terrific read and and the lessons there and and when you can when you can have a a real life you know extreme story like that there was so much going on um and and you can convert that to to great life and business lessons i mean there are so many people who want to read want to lead uh, real estate teams that are going to learn so much from this and when you're looking to build a team and who to look for and and some of the qualities i mean some of the stuff that you guys get into when you talk about your seal training in in san diego i thought was was super interesting um what about the story when the uh the leaders of the boat were changed the leaders and the boat crews changed over uh, i just found that that was fascinating as, as far as leadership goes tell me I guess you're a former platoon commander. Is that, is that a, you lead a team of, is it 16? Am I right?
1: It's about 16 plus or minus
0: generally. Okay. Okay. What, what, uh, and, and you've been in that role as, as platoon commander. What, what makes a good leader life in, in, in that sort of extreme situation? First of all,
1: humility. I mean, that, that's the, that's the biggest piece is you just got to be willing to listen. And if you think you have it all figured out, then that's just going to be very, very uh, you know, it's going to be very, very challenging for you because you can't take instruction, you can't accept criticism. Uh, that's you know the, one of the biggest lessons that we took back is is just that you've got to be humble. You've got to put your ego in check. And you know, when you think you've got it all figured out, then you're you're actually failing as a leader. You need to be thinking. It's not that you you got to be you got to be confident certainly, but you can't get cocky. You know, we talk about the dichotomy of leadership. It is a fine line that you have to walk. And you want to be confident in, in your skills, in your team, uh, in your preparation, but you can't ever get cocky. you got to always be thinking, of how how can we do it better? You know, How can we be more efficient? What can we do now that we, we didn't think about? What's the enemy going to do that we hadn't foreseen? Had is that that worst-case scenario? Am, am I prepared for that? Did we plan properly? Did we set up? you know, uh, our, our, uh, uh do we set up a uh, risk mitigation, uh, levels that, that can prevent us from, you know, from having those worst case scenarios happen or, or enable us to survive when things are difficult. So, uh, I think those, uh, those, that, that quality of humility is first and foremost, most important and just eager to learn all the time, uh, knowing that you don't have it all figured out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the book you talk about the many lessons learned from the battlefield one you keep returning to and you mentioned it earlier in the interview is to prioritize and execute is that because there's so much going on when you're in combat you're you're trying to you're trying to process dozens of decisions in every minute
1: well i'm sure combat is pretty similar to the real estate world you know when that's going on And, and you know having uh having worked for the number of agents and and purchased homes and sold homes i mean i think those uh that's that's it, it, there's a lot of different pieces and parts, a lot of moving stuff, a lot of things happening. You know, so what do you do when you have 35 things that have to be done right now? How do you handle that, particularly when the pressure's on and there's a timeline, and you've got some angry, you know, you got some angry uh, buyer or some angry seller who's, you know, wants the demands or answers or wants something to happen right now. Uh, you know, th- there's just uh, how do you handle those kind of situations? Well, in combat, there's that much more pressure when people's lives are at stake, and you know, you mentioned the, the movies earlier. Combat is not like the movies it is it is so much more chaotic it's so much that you know it's so much louder than any movie theater could ever make it uh you know and just the kinetic energy of incoming rounds i mean if you think about the biggest strongest baddest guy you can imagine grabbing a sledgehammer just smashing a concrete wall next to your head as hard as he can that's kind of what each incoming round has that kind of kinetic energy and if that's you you multiply that times seven or eight hundred rounds a minute for a belt-fed machine gun maybe there's four or five of them wow. shooting at you you know that's the kind of kinetic energy there's it coming in it is overwhelming the noise the chaos you don't know where the enemy is what the next move is going to be so you know when you're in particularly if when you've got guys guys that you love and care about that your brother's are wounded and, and bleeding out and you want to help those guys i mean there's a whole lot of emotion that's involved in that as well so, how do you, you know, how do you handle a dozen of problems like that simultaneously? The answer is you can't. You have to take a step back, figure out what the highest priority is, and execute toward that, accomplishing that highest priority task. That's what we mean by prioritize and execute. And how you do that? How we tell our leaders to do that is relax, look around, and make a call. Literally relax. Take, literally take a breath. Uh, look around. Pull themselves back from the immediate emotion. Emotional reaction uh, from from a situation. You know, look to their left, look to their right, figure out what what you know what in the strategic picture. What's the most important thing, and, and then make the call to get the team executing. You know, to accomplish that highest priority task. And so, that's no different on the battlefield than it is in the real estate world. When you're feeling overwhelmed, when you want to pull your hair out, relax, look around, make a call, take a, take a breath, look around, figure out. Okay, what's the highest priority task I need to uh, start uh, focus my, my time and effort on. Once that's taken care of or 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 a team's working to accomplish that, you know, then I can take a step back. Then then I can move to the next priority task. Then I can move to the next priority task. That's what prioritize and execute is all about. One way you can do that, Ray, uh, effectively is before you're under those high pressure situations, if you've thought about what might go wrong, what contingencies are likely to happen, you can already kind of game out in your head how you're going to react to that. You can talk to other members of the team so they understand how to react to that and what we're going to do in the event that. That this likely scenario happens, and then it makes it much easier to be able to operate under those uh, high pressure situations. So you already know what you're going to do, and the team already knows what to do. And contingency planning is a is a key factor in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I think that that's uh, that's awesome advice. It's a little bit of gold right there. Uh, and I know you guys have got a. Um, special two days that you're doing in san diego so we're in 2016 if you're listening to this before october 20 and 21 2016 then this has already been and gone but tell me tell me life just quickly quick summary about the extreme ownership muster downtown san diego uh, this october
1: yes sir we're excited to have our first annual extreme ownership muster in san diego october 20th 21st this is uh it's a chance for leaders, followers, anyone who aspires to better themselves to come together, to dive deep into leadership, to talk about challenges. We're looking to make this very interactive, you know, to, to open up for a lot of Q&A, a lot of discussion, so that Jocko and I can help take the combat leadership principles that enabled us to succeed on the battlefield and help apply them directly uh, to to the world of, of the participants that are, that are going to come from all over and, and be a part of this and help solve challenges they can lead and win on their battlefield.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, that just sounds like an awesome event. Uh, awesome event. You can get uh, the full link and, and more info in the show notes. Just go to topagentsplaybook.com. I'm also going to put a link to uh, the book Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win uh, by Jocko and Leif. Well, Leif, I want to move towards winding up. Thank you so much uh, on behalf of myself and, and all of my listeners and I guess hundreds of thousands of people who are getting value from this from this amazing book. Thank you so much for writing the book. Um, I would suggest that everybody check out the book. You can also get it at audible.com uh, and make sure that you get along to Extreme Muster in San Diego, October 20 and 21.
1: I appreciate that, Ray. We're uh, we're excited to uh, to be part of the program here. It's been great, great being on with you. And I think for uh, some people thought uh, take a look at me and thought, man, this knuckle dragger probably uh, doesn't know how to read, much less write a book. So we, uh, (laughs) well, I'm not going to call you a knuckle dragger. That's for sure. (laughs) I, I take pride in being one, but it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, the feedback from the book has been tremendous, and it means so much when, when leaders reach out to us and say, this has helped us, this has been a game changer, it's been a life changer, and uh, you know, it's just a, a tremendous thing to see the impact that these principles have, have had. When we talk about some, some very humbling experiences, uh, but pass it on a way that, uh, you know, that folks uh, can take and implement. And so that's, that's really what this is about, is about helping people uh, be better leaders, better followers you know, better, uh, better spouses, better parents. Uh, and I think you can apply those principles across the spectrum. Uh, and that's certainly that kind of feedback means everything to us.
0: Yeah. Well, there was one example, I think, uh, where a guy read the book and actually it helped save his marriage. Am I right?
1: That's correct. I, I, I was, uh, that's not what it really – I'd anticipated thinking about you know, when you were writing this book. And I had a, one of our clients, uh, a guy had told me that. He said, you know what? You talked about extreme ownership to us. And uh, I, was, I was going through some real struggles with my wife. And I was blaming everything on her. I was making excuses. And he talked about extreme ownership. I had to look in the mirror and take ownership and say, you know, i got to control the outcome. i got to do some things better. Uh, and that's uh, made all the difference in, in my marriage. And that was just a, tremendous to hear that.
0: Well, it's an awesome read. Again, congratulations. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what happens next. Thank you, Ray.
1: Great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. The Top Agents Playbook Podcast is proudly sponsored by Locked On, real estate's best software. For show notes from this episode, free downloads, your Locked On Discount for Life link, and Ray's blog, head over to topagentsplaybook.com.